Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red as we review the latest but hopefully not the last special night at the City Ground this season after Forest ended their FA Cup run with a 1-0 defeat at the hands of Liverpool. And to look back on the night, we're joined first of all by Forest fan and Chief Football Writer of the Eye paper, Daniel Storey. Hello, Dan, you well? Yes, I'm well, you? Yes, not too bad. I did say at the start, I've got a bit of a cold or probably COVID, I'll have to do a test later, uh, so I might be sniffling and blowing my nose this, but we'll get through it as well in the company of Forza Garibaldi's <laughs> Hung over looking, <laughs> Greg Mitchell. If you're watching this on YouTube, hello, Greg. You okay? I thought I was. Yeah, I was feeling all right to be honest. Uh, it's probably the just wash your hair in the shower hair <laughs> betrays you. I don't know. But good to have you both with us, um, Greg. Congratulations for the banner for Forza again. That's gone down very well. Did you have anything to do with this one? Oh well, I mean, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> the technical side of it, we're lucky to have a couple of, you know, geniuses that come up with these ideas and we've got a really good group of us now that, you know, are just getting these ideas into into you know, production. So hopefully there's a few more to come and you know, shout out to Cags who designed this one because you couldn't see it, but the, the detail that's in there, you know, I think we've released now um, the actual uh, design in some of the little secret you know, scribblings on Trent Bridge. It's well worth going to have a look at on our uh, Twitter page. I suppose the main message of it all is, I'm right, Greg, is what one generation to the next, isn't it? Mm. Well, there's uh, been a that... whole... Go on, sorry. Yeah, there's been a whole generation that hasn't had these famous nights as well, hasn't there? So you hope with this cup run, not just last night, these little kids in Nottingham wanting that Forest shirt and not that Man United or Liverpool shirt and... It was. I know we didn't get the result, but it was such a special night. I thought it was quite an emotional night, and you'd hope it wasn't just in Nottingham, but we've kind of been put on the world map again with this cup run we've had. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought the display matched the occasion perfectly. What was your takeaway from it all, and Dan, having been there at the game? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the atmosphere, like it, it's the little things. I think you know, Miss rolling in has. I tweeted after the game to say it sometimes felt like that song's been sung out of kind of loyalty and duty over the last, let's face it, decade, um, on and off. And you hear it now, not just last night, but and not just the FA Cup games, but the league games as well. And there's a real pride that is a representation of, of kind of new hope. And look, I thought that, you know, personally, Greg, the 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 TIFO and the, the display before the match was was amazing. I love the detail that it was a girl on her dad's shoulders. I love that it's kind of welcoming a new generation of Forest fans, but also a new a, a new type of fan, a, new, a club that's there for everybody, um, encapsulated perfectly. And, and obviously, you know, you speak to, you know, I spoke to, to Arsenal fans before and after the cup tie and, that, you know, there were gutties go out, but they look forward to that walk over the Trent. They really do. I know they've lost both third round games at our place, but 
they do really, you know, they see that as something special in football and we should celebrate it. Yeah, obviously we'll come on to the game in great detail, but the atmosphere, Greg, where, where did it rank this season? Was it, or, or in your whole experience of going to games, home games, was it the, the best one yet? From the home fans, I thought it was as good as Arsenal, it was as good as Leicester, if not better. But I think they, even the Huddersfield game, this entire cup run has just encapsulated something. You know, you see the Brian Clough stand all on their feet. Such a a rare thing to see up until this season. And I don't know if you've have you seen that video of the guy about a mile away from the ground yeah, yeah. recording in his garden and you know, that's the trend end that is. Once they start singing that song and the whole ground just follows it, it just it was it was brilliant. Yeah, it was as it was as good as I've known it down there from the from the forest fans. What's it do for general me- this is a, a wider point. What's it do for general mental well being of a football fan? These are rough times in the world. What, what, you must it just must be nice to take pride, mustn't it, Greg? Mm, and They'd lost, you know, we lost last night and five minutes after the game, there wasn't many empty seats, was there? We watched the last two players walk off the pitch and I just thought everyone's loving it so much at the city ground. It was like we just wanted to get every last little second of it and, you know, celebrate what a brilliant cup run it has been. But also, I feel like now we've had a real taste of how we'd match up against Premier League opposition. Because it was by no means their second eleven, was it, in any of the teams we've played. And with the belief and the way that Cooper changes to get us playing, it shows that next season, if we were, well, not lucky enough, but if we did go up, I think we'd, we wouldn't be struggling each week. We'd still be loving going down that ground and, and getting results one way or another. Yeah, before we come on to the wider promotion and Premier League pictures, just the game itself, Dan, I read your report after I'd written our pre-show notes and it seemed to you seem to agree, it just hung on two incidents, really, Zinconagel's miss and that that clinical finish by, by Jotter, who's come from the Championship to become probably, well, world-class might be fair enough as, as a striker. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, and look, the difference between everyone at professional level from, from National League upwards, you know, you see now on social media goals going viral from non-league that you could never hope of scoring yourself. And... Every player at every professional level has the ability to do that. What defines them as the best and and the rest is A, being able to do it consistently and and B, being able to do it when it really matters in the big moments. Philip Zinconagel is a a fine footballer and and may well continue to have a Premier League career. But the difference is that if that chance comes to Jota, he scores it. Liverpool were by no means perfect. You know, Firmino missed the one-on-one, but... um, I think we troubled them. I think we unnerved them. I, they they were forced to play more directly out from the back than I thought they would be. I thought, particularly after the goal, I thought they would kind of sort of stifle Forrest and try and suffocate the atmosphere a little bit. But the opposite happened, really. Forrest gave it a real good go and, and they were hanging on towards the end. And look, we don't want to be kind of accidentally patronising to, to our own club, but that means something. You know, it means something beyond losing, beyond going out the cup. And Forrest has been a club who have who have effectively chucked away cup competitions in, in too many seasons, to my mind, over the last 15, 20 years. And and I think it's worth saying that one can propel the other. You know, the cup run can propel the league form and the league form can make you feel like you've got a chance in the cup. Yeah, there were two slightly different moments, like under the radar moments that sort of summed up for me. The first time Spence went at Van Dyke, 
yeah. Van Dyke was very nonchalant and he saw him off and it was great for if you're Van Dyke, whatever. But by the 75th minute, Van Dyke is leathering the ball sideways into the dugout. And that shows that Forrest, Forrest got at them. When that Zinkenagel miss happened, though, Greg, did you think that was the moment or did you still believe? Oh, no. You've learned not to treat Forrest like we always have. But that moment in that game against, you know, one of the top teams in the world, it, oh, it was so close and it could have meant the difference. And you really did feel like that, you know, that the players felt like that was the chance as well because it was only a couple of minutes later they scored. Um, so, yeah, I feel for him. I really do. But it was a huge miss. We feel like we've missed two or three of those type of chances in the last few games, isn't it? You had, you know, the one against... QPR, where Cafu hits a keeper yes. at least, and you know Johnson scores a rebound. There was one against, uh, I think there's one against Huddersfield as well, where the ball comes across last minute when we we're winning, and we miss one of those. That kind of Johnson cross from the right, that's the thing to work on in training, isn't it? Because that's the obvious chance for Forrest to create with Spence and Johnson creating something down the right and a cross coming in, and they just seem to have missed two or three of them in recent games. They do create that chance a lot, don't they? I mean, Man City obviously get the ball to the byline and pull it back. Forrest, it's get the wing backs or get Johnson in and play it low. We're about 12 yards out and someone slides it in. And normally Garner's a late arrival or Zinkanagel. Obviously, this time it didn't happen. The goal itself, a lot of Forest fans are saying it's VAR, VAR's corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. You always get that debate. And you see a lot more VAR in the Premier League than I do, Dan. But mm. I kind of felt, actually, the camera angle isn't level. And it doesn't give a fair description. If the line's level or the line's drawn on the TV and it says it's offside, then do we just have to say, actually, it probably, or onside, do we have to say it is onside and just accept it this time? Yeah, we do, unfortunately. The the idea of VAR is that it would kind of, you know, remove these conversations, but actually it just enhances them because you see kind of how the sausages are made in terms of the decision-making. And yeah, it's a semi-automated process. We have to assume it's it's right. There is new for this season or came in last August, this kind of margin of error so that if the lines, the two thin lines are touching, then um, it's counted as onside. The attacker gets the benefit of the doubt with that. That's what happened last night. Look, they are, we should be very proud that they are incredibly fine margins, both with that and, and the penalty call, which I'm sure will come on to, but I thought that was the right call again. I think if Alisson lifts his hand, then it's probably a penalty, but he didn't. So it probably isn't enough to overturn it. But the fact that we're sat here saying those were the differences, not two or three goals, is is credit to us in, in itself. Yeah, my only gripe with the penalty is probably a couple of years ago it get, gets given because players like Vardy and Kane and Ronaldo, they made this career almost of not cheating, but manipulating their foot to make contact. I don't think that's what Yates did here, but it looked like that. So I, I didn't think it was a penalty. Have you watched it back, Greg? Yeah, and I'd agree with the penalty. On the um, offsides, it's just typical, isn't it, that when we played Chelsea that time and we had four and it was like his backside was off, if that was the game yesterday, it would have counted, wouldn't it? And the margin of error, it's kind of threw us the other way yesterday. So you could say it's just our luck, really. But um, the penalty, he dragged his foot, didn't he? And I think he made it look a little bit too obvious. So whether, again... Him kind of getting back to his feet and trying to get the ball again, which is the right thing to do, but it obviously it made it look like he was like, okay, I'm not getting a penalty here. I need to go and get the ball, don't I? Mm. 
Mm. Is that inconsistency of VAR a little bit, Dan? There might have been a different actual video assistant referee, a different person who might have thought, actually, that was a penalty. I mean, you look at some, you know, the Man City handball, the Everton, some very random decisions. It's still basically a human thing, isn't it? It is a human thing, and it also depends more than we'd like to believe on the the original decision by the referee, which obviously in this case was no penalty, and therefore there was no overturning. If if the referee gives that, um, maybe it doesn't get overturned, which then plays into the kind of psychology of officiating, because you think, well, VAR's there to help me out, so maybe I won't give it. But then if VAR doesn't think there's enough reason to look at it, you know, maybe your decision would have been different in a non-VAR world. But again, look, we're talking about really fine margins in a game against not the first choice team, but not a reserve team by any means of probably the form team in the world at the moment. So if we take a step back and think, you know, that's what Cooper's big thing was after the game was look, take a step back. We've done this. We've also not achieved anything yet. So let's use this as fuel to move forward. I cut you off there, Greg. Sorry. Was there something you wanted to add? Uh, I forgot if there was. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> If we go back to me, you talk about the team news. I mean, what did you make of the team when it came out, Greg? The Liverpool team, did you think Forrest have got a chance here? I, no, I thought it was strong. It, it, you know, you recognise seven or eight of their players and you think, I was glad though. I didn't want it just to be a, a, quite a few youth team players and this, that, the other. It was great to see Van Dijk in there and, you know... I loved the fact that it clearly didn't phase us either. We put the strongest side out we could with all our injuries. Um, I thought Figs played superb again. Now you've got no worries about him going forward for the rest of the season and covering the injuries. Uh, I thought Horvath last night cemented his number one spot. Uh, I think there's, there's no debate at the minute that he's not number one. There's no reason for him not to be in goal. Um, last night, playing against them players just gave me a lot more confidence that after you know, a, a deserved two-week break a lot of them are going to have now, uh, we'll come back fighting. And, you know, Grabs could have probably scored that chance last night and he should be coming back sooner rather than later. So, for me, last night did us a hell of a lot more good than than bad, if I'm honest. Yeah, a bit of a done death topic, the Horvath versus Sam. But I, I felt it was the first game he looked like a number one to me mm. in terms of confidence. Just quickly, Dan, where do you stand on that debate? I think the first thing I'd say is it's a, it's really strong management from Cooper because the easy thing to do is to bring Bryce back in. Um, he's been very popular in that dressing room for a while. So to say, you know, you're only getting this team on merit and you made a, a mistake, you dropped discipline, you, you did something stupid. Look, he sees them both in training. He obviously trusts Ethan and... I just think it's brilliant management and it sends a message to other players in the team that nobody's place is safe. If you play badly, then we've got competition for places in our squad that you know we just haven't had for a long time. And it's not necessarily, I don't think, that the squad's significantly better, although it clearly is in a couple of positions. It's that everyone wants to be in the team at the moment. Everyone wanted to play Liverpool last night. Everyone wanted to beat Leicester so, and everyone wanted to beat Huddersfield so they could play Liverpool. And take that into the league form... And suddenly we're at the stage of the season now where players are thinking, well, I want to play at Wembley. You know, I've not played yeah. at Wembley before. I want to be in a, I want to be the guy, I want to be part of the team that finally rules Forrest <coughs> out of this horrible playoff hoodoo that hangs over the club. And that's in, that's as important as, you know, as having players fit. Obviously, you know, it's going to be a big two weeks to try and get the likes of Grabs close to fitness, to get Cook somewhere along that way, uh, to get McKenna hopefully fit again. But 
I don't think there's any fear from those players now. And that's all down to Cooper, I think. You know, I think two months ago, and, and I'll be honest, I even said it to a mate last night, I was worried when I saw Figs against Firmino and Jota. Mm. But he stepped up. Um, they're not perfect. They will make mistakes. Some of them are not even, you look at someone like Jackie C, they're not even necessarily playing in their most natural position. But they care enough that, you know, they'll sprint back if they lose the ball. They'll cover for a mate if he loses it. And that that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I mean, Figs was great, wasn't he? And Colback as well. I mean, he did get done for the goal a little bit because it's really good movement by Minamino. I think most players would get done for that. But the back four, Greg, to, I mean, I would have been worried when I saw the team a little bit, but that back four led by Worrell was magnificent, wasn't it? And we still managed to play in a similar way, going from the back five to the back four. Uh, we still kept you know, our system and the way we play against these teams. So, again, that was just huge confidence for for people like myself thinking, yeah, you know, they're not faced by this. So mm. it, it, it was fine, absolutely fine. Uh, I think I said in our notes, please don't get injured, Joe Worrell. It is hanging on by a bit of a Joe Worrell thread at the back now, though, isn't it, in a sense still, Dan? They, they, he, he's magnificent, but they can't lose any more players, can they? Yeah, I mean, my, my, my big hope, and I, I firmly believe it is happening, is that you heard from Keenan Davies a couple of weeks ago, um, after the Reading game, and he was talking about how Grabs is working with him. It's pretty clear that Steve Cook has had a fairly <laughs> revelatory effect on on some of those defenders. And Cooper has always been a manager, right back to the England under seventeen days, where he wanted co- you know player coaches. Even doesn't matter how old you are, if you're a senior player, if you're a younger player, help each other out. And Cook's clearly doing that. Um, if he continues to do, he's worked wonders for Worrell. He's he's clearly working with Figs as well. Yes. Scott McKenna coming back would be brilliant and Steve Cook coming back is probably even more important, not least because it allows us now, as Greg says, to change between those systems and surprise opponents. You don't necessarily know which formation you're going to get when you play Forest if if they've got more defenders fit. But I mean, Warrell last night was was immense. And I think that the most pleasing aspect of this whole season for me as a Forest fan is it's the players who have in the past been criticised by you know, by us as fans, as by journalists for not quite being at it all the time, and they're the ones that have stood up tallest. You know, Warrell's had his dips, Ryan Yates has had his critics, Grabs has even had his critics, but they're the ones that are standing up and leading this team now, and that's that's really important going into playoff season because you look at the teams around us and, and people aren't winning, so th- there clearly is a team spirit there that's that's making something of Forest. Um, one other player to mention, a couple of people in the comments mentioned Ashley and Michael is, is Joe Lolly. Who I thought was, you know, lack of lack of action recently. I thought he was excellent. He, he looked confident and he he worked tremendously hard. And that's a that's a big asset, isn't it, Greg, to have him back? Yeah, and he, he got subbed, didn't he? And stand innovation. Um, another player that probably wouldn't have had as many minutes the last couple of games without the injuries, and he's just stepped up. And it's like a new signing because, like I said in the last episode. I think some of us were worried that these injuries keep coming and they were bad ones. He might have been done, but he looked like a very good player and a very capable player last night against that team. So, you know, what's he going to be like against a Blackpool if he if he starts? It's uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. You like you wanted to come in on that. You're a big Joe Dolly fan, aren't you, Dan? Yeah, I think he's a he's a he's a good guy. He's a humble guy. He's clearly had problems with injuries that I don't know but I suspect stems from the fact that you know he went to uni he 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 wasn't a footballer from 15 onwards getting medical treatment and you know 
rehab and recovery after games up until the age of 21, 22, 23. And I think that probably can make a difference. But he tries his socks off when he plays, even when it doesn't come off. He also allows us, if he plays on that right, he allows us to kind of split the threat a little bit if we put Johnson down the left for a game and, and obviously have Spence down the right because Joe's happy to tuck in and do his defensive work if, if, if Spence is bombing on. So that maybe gives Forrest a bit more of a kind of multi-dimensionality that we've, we've possibly lacked because, look, it's very hard to stop Johnson and Spence in combination, but I think opposition managers are starting to realise that stop that and you've got a chance of stopping Forrest. So just gives us another option. Mm, I don't think you play on a decent pitch. So he's about 23 probably because, you know, yeah. no offence in the league pitches. They're not Premier League pitches. Um, one other point from the game. I mean, should Forrest really have scored? There were other chances. Was that Yates one a miss or was the ball behind him? And then the Cafu one, that was a tough chance, wasn't it? How we judge those chances, Dan? I think that the reality is, is that other than the Zinks chance, they're a collection of half chances, aren't they? And the reality, again, to go back to kind of the original point, is that you watch Premier League players week in, week out, which you know, I'm lucky to do, and they turn half chances into great chances. And you can't, you can't before you've even worked out how you know their chances of scoring. They've scored one in two of them. Forest probably score, or Championship teams probably score one in three or four of them, and. Um, yeah, they they would consider themselves unfortunate. I think they were lucky not to be behind at half-time with the Firmino chance. That that pressing from Liverpool in the first half is something that Forrest haven't really seen in the Championship. That, you know, that effectively. They've been pressed, but they've been able to kind of pass through that and then send a player through. And that I think that probably not spooked them a little bit, but, but Cooper said after the game, he spoke at half-time, said, look, you need to be a bit braver here. You need to move it quicker because they will harry you and they'll hassle you. And I think that got to us. But second half, they came out and they did the same to Liverpool. They robbed them of the ball. They forced them to kick it long. And um, yeah, I, as I say, I, I said, whatever happens, no regrets. And I certainly wouldn't regret losing by one goal. But they are those half chances that you just hope that in the in the big games to come, you know, we have to take those. Because Forest. the reality is, as far as promotion bid, probably lies on around 10 or 12 moments over around eight or 10 games to to see whether they A, make the playoffs and B, make it through them. Um, we'll get to the specifics of that in a minute, but picking up on what you said there about the moments and the differences in the Premier League, on the last one we did, we had Nick Marshall on, Greg was on, and we discussed what Forest would need in the Premier League. And Nick felt they had to keep this whole squad together and add three or four top quality players with Premier League experience to compete, to stay up. I mean, what, what's your assessment if they can go up, Dan? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I, I don't think they should be a, afraid of of continuing to use the loan market. Um, there are there are now limitations on the number of players you can take from from Premier League clubs. But one thing Cooper has done is he's revitalised Forest from a club where loan players tended to kind of sort of not drown a bit, but just sort of get lost in the noise really. And he's turned it into a club that young players, I know for a fact, really really want to play at. So they shouldn't be afraid of doing that. There are some absolutely excellent young players in the Premier League who, who Forrest would be lucky to have and would be lucky to play a, a, a forward-thinking possession-based team like Forrest. I don't mm. think I don't think they need to, you know, the, the slight danger, and let's be honest, we're getting carried away here, is that they see that they need a new squad and they go and spend eight to ten million pounds on three or four players who sort of fit the same mould as Forrest have done over, you know, three years ago and backwards where 
six months later, you sort of forget the one or two of them are even at the club. You know, we've had this discussion before, Matt, where you could ask me to write down the Forest score from 2017-18 and I record I'd miss seven or eight players. We've got to avoid that. Uh, we've got to go and get, you know, players that really want to be at Forest, not players who you can sign, players that you think really will make a difference. And and Cooper would play a huge part in that. He's, a, he's an incredibly savvy, experienced man for, for his age because he's got nearly 25 years coaching experience now, most of that with young players. Mm-hmm. And one interesting point in the comments that we didn't really pick up on about Jed Spence, who had a really good game, but the goal did come from him losing the ball. And I wonder if it maybe was a, a lesson learned about the very highest level, of, if you can go rampaging when you're a right back. I mean, you know, Reece James and Trent Alexander, I obviously do, but it'll be a good learning experience for him, won't it, Greg, last night? Yeah, but on the other side, he has to take those risks for us to get the chance that we had to score, doesn't he? So um, I wouldn't want him not to keep doing that or to be more cautious. It might, you know, it might ruin the way that he plays. So, yeah, he'll live and learn from that. But I hope he doesn't really change a lot at all because um, we need him to keep doing that, especially in the championship against players that shouldn't punish him as much as he as he was for it last night. I think he. Um, it, it felt like that Cooper had maybe asked him to tuck in a little bit on the right as well. He gave Simicas, a left-back, quite a lot of space to cross the ball. And I think Cooper basically thought, look, we've got Joe Worrell in there who's capable and showed he's capable of heading out everything. So, and that, I, that almost, I think that almost cost him a little bit because it made it look like he wasn't staying tight. He wasn't making tackles. He wasn't kind of being as all action as he normally is. But I think, I think Cooper just asked him to sit off a bit. And, and yeah, going forward, I mean, there was, it was that first run of the match. He got tackled on about halfway and Liverpool broke and you kind of thought, yeah, this is not going to be championship football, Dead Jed. Um, but he's a confident young lad. He really is. And uh, I mean, I think he'll be playing in the Premier League one way or the other next season. What's his ceiling, do you think, Dan? Uh, I, it's quite hard to tell in that clearly he's a better player going forward than he is saying back. If he is to move to the Premier League and Forest don't get there, I would massively advise him to go to a club that's going to use him as a wing back because I think that just gives him so much more license to to push forward and do what he does best and and you've also got an extra centre back to cover you. That's where he's been at his best for Forrest, no doubt. Um I, I, my only answer is I as I don't know because you know you look at the likes of Matty Cash who I, I think Jed looks a you know better for Forrest than Cash did at times and yet he's flourished in the Premier League and then you look at someone like Ollie Burke, who, who's just got lost there. So it's so hard at 21 to make a difference. And so much of it is also down to attitude. And, you know, at Middlesbrough, there are clearly a few questions about that. But Cooper's got into him and, he, you know, he looks, a, he looks a hell of a player in terms of his mind as well as his, his physical attributes at the moment. Um, just on the wider pitch, you hear Klopp talking glowingly about Nottingham now he knows what you know what it is <laughs> uh, in his post-match comments and Diogo Jota saying what they're a great what a great team they are and Arteta obviously knows now and Brendan Rodgers does what's this FA Cup run done for the club Greg do you think it's I think it's put us back in countries that have never heard of us before the um I was lucky enough to be at the ground on Saturday sorting out all the the TIFO and there was eight international TV companies there trying to set up, you know, and they're all talking about Forest. They probably commentate on Liverpool week in, week out, week out. So, you know, they were talking about us and just reminding everyone what we're about. But what I would say is um, 
this stand really needs to happen if we're going to have a lot more <laughs> nights like that last night because you know they were scrambling for there was wires everywhere and space and I think uh, hopefully if it is the council that are holding things back they see what special nights at the city ground can come and we need the facilities to go with that so you'd hope nights like last last night will, will help us not just on the pitch. Yeah. What did you make of Klopp's pre-match comments? I wasn't bothered by them. I think he's great, but some people took a bit of offence, Dan, to him not really knowing much about, or not not professing to know much about Forrest. I'm sure he did, really. Yeah, it's, it's an awkward one. I, re- I remember Jose Mourinho saying that when he first came to England, he made a point of of coming to Nottingham and seeing and being like amazed and sit, walking over the over Trent Bridge and seeing the ground and thinking like, what, this is the club that won a couple of European Cups and being astonished by that. It, it, I mean, I think Klopp was what, 12 maybe or when we won the first European Cup. Like, it feels like he should know <laughs> Nottingham Forest given that he is a, a football nut. So maybe it was just a kind of slightly twee pre-match, you know, pre-match line for the media. But um yeah, he knows about us now, and that's all we can ask. You know, he, he, I, I heard from a, a guy who I know who works for Liverpool um, last night, and you know, he works with supporters as a, as a, a in the, in the role he does, and he was kind of saying, "There's probably eight or nine Premier League teams that have not given Liverpool as good a game as that last night." And and yes, it wasn't completely full strength, and yes, there were no Mane and Salah, and and yes, I am incredibly grateful <laughs> for that fact, but we got at them in a way that teams don't. And and if you can take that belief into championship games, then yeah, there's no reason why we can't go up. The, the, the other thing that people say, and, and I was speaking about it this morning, and I think if you ask people of a certain age, probably 35 and older for their ideal 20 Premier League teams, 90, 95% of them include Forest in that list. And that's a compliment to the club. It's the history and it's a compliment to what we're doing at the moment. But for that not to feel patronising, we have to make good on that now you know we've been given a real chance that none of us saw coming after the first seven games of the season and you know like we said about players taking the chances clubs the best clubs have to make the most of the chances that they didn't think were coming their way and look we've got 10 games now that present a chance that we've not had for for far too long that kind of leads into one of the things i mentioned to you guys before we were recording about where forest actually rank so if they're in the top 20 list of premier league clubs for everyone if they let's say, say they get the new stand bills and they've got that capacity and they're well run and they establish themselves, I mean, are they? I think the clubs I use examples were they a Brighton, are they a Leeds, a Leicester, or a Villa on that list? Dan, where would you put them? I think it, it, it this is an incredibly blasphemous thing for a Forest fan to say, I'm aware of that, but I think you have to park in terms of potential now, you have to park history. That can mean something in terms of the the feel of the club. And on the big nights, it certainly makes a difference. But the reality is, is that football over the last 10 years is outside of the financial elite has become a meritocracy. And the reason that Brentford are in the Premier League and the reason that Leicester have done so well and the reason that, you know, Brighton were pushing or have been pushing the top half is not because of the history. It's because they're incredibly well run off the pitch, that they have a clear identity, that they don't change managers all the time. And for too long, Forrest made those mistakes. They allowed, probably allowed that history to weigh them down and create an expectation that we couldn't match. And we tried to chase that expectation too quickly. What I hope, and and I'm starting to thankfully believe that that Cooper and with Dave Murphy on board, they're doing is they're creating that identity. So that not, not only is the history 
you know, there, but it also it, it becomes an ingredient in the success rather than a barrier to it. And it, it starts to mean something, but but it can only ever be an add on to what you're doing now. And what Forrest needed to get right was getting it right now. And, I, 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 you know, I'm not just giddy because it's been a good cut run, but I think we are doing that now. What about you, Greg, in terms of potential, big, big picture, long-term future? Yeah, I mean, what Daniel said, it's not blasphemous at all, but it, I think it has hindered us always looking at the past and almost saying, well, we deserve to be up there when clearly we don't. And the way we've turned things around this season, if we were to get up, obviously you're looking at survival first season, but also with the way we're playing it could bounce as it could propel us and we've done it before haven't we where we we get into the premier league and then we have a really strong season and i think like you say a few a few additions i got i mean it's amazing we're even talking about this but i don't see why we can't rival our neighbours in in villa and and leicester and be you know you want to be the biggest club in the midlands don't you and i think forest with our fan base the stadium will hold almost 40,000 new training facilities everything seems to be kind of slowly now coming into place and the jigsaw pieces are all being fitted together yes but obviously you have to put those jigsaw pieces together and actually get there so let's just spend the last 10 minutes or so just looking at the actual picture after the weekend so I'll put the table up first and that's how Forest stands. For those who are listening, not watching, they are ninth in the championship, 58 points, uh, three points off the playoffs. Blackburn in sixth. They have three games in hand on them, two games in hand on Sheffield United, and basically games in hand on everyone except Bournemouth. Uh, results certainly went their way with QPR losing, Blackburn losing, and a couple of other results being quite helpful. How are you feeling overall, Dan, since Greg's just disappeared? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, in, in points per, te- per game's term, we're now fourth in the championship, um, which is brilliant is and is remarkable given the start to the season. Um, it's also incredibly tight. Every every club is losing, and I firmly believe, although you know I don't want to sound negative here, I firmly believe every club, including Forest, will go on a sticky run, particularly given you know it's lovely having games in hand, but it also means that the end of the season is going to be incredibly hectic for Forest. Um, but it doesn't look like, Luton aside, it doesn't really look like any of those playoff contenders are are surging towards the playoffs. And the one thing Forrest don't really feel like they've done during their various playoff heartaches is kind of ending the season strongly and, and sneaking in there. And and it does feel like we can do that now. Um, clearly, there are massive games against, against Bournemouth, against Fulham, against West Brom, against Luton. And four of those 10 games, conceivably, Forrest could lose. But even if they win the other six now, they should get there, which is, you know, it's going to take, I think, four or three or four more points than it normally does to get in the playoffs just because it's so tight and just because Fulham is so far away. Um, but, you know, play like they did last night. We keep saying it and they can beat most championship teams at home and, and most championship teams away. And it now feels like clubs are starting to fear for us a little bit it really does not just because of how we're playing but because of how they're dropping points you know you see QPR fans yesterday they're talking about you know Warburton out because he's lost the plot you can see Blackburn fans worried that their form's dropped off a cliff Bournemouth fans have even been worried they're not scoring and we're kind of just bobbing along and and even when we don't play well uh, you know we get we tend to grind out points which is a heck of a habit to have 
Yeah, I'm in a, a WhatsApp group for a fantasy league with a QPR fan. <laughs> Warburton's got no plan B, is what you keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very what about you, Greg? I know you're going to tell me they're going to get in the playoffs, so let's qualify the question. They're going to limp into the playoffs. They're going to power into the playoffs. I think Bournemouth winnings probably took top two out of it, um, but that could be a good thing because you know Bournemouth and Fulham. At least Fulham should be promoted by the time we play them. So hopefully they'll already be on the beach because we do play very well away. Um, I think with the playoffs, yeah, we're going to get in them. I don't want to play Middlesbrough just because we lose Spence. So it'll be nice if they were the team <laughs> that dropped out for us. Um, but it'd be nice to get that that home tie second leg. I think so. Are you looking at fourth place for that? I think it works. So look, it, it's not going to matter massively, but it, it, I think that um, a strong away performance to start it off, and then get any team at home. We've seen the big games at the City Ground. You know, we, we're not the old team that we have been. So, we'll see. Getting ahead of myself here. Do you have to give Richie Larea some games in case Jed Spence misses the playoffs? Oh, yeah. Or not? I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen Henry Taylor of him, but they're winning, so you can't complain. But do they have to get Larea some action in case Spence can't play, Dan? I suppose so. I mean, I, wouldn't, I, I honestly wouldn't be... If it came to that, I wouldn't be surprised if them playing four at the back and poor Jack Colback having to play in another position, to be honest. I think it's a heck of a call to put Raya in in a game like that. I, I suspect Cooper would probably have rather have a little bit of experience there. But uh, I, do you know what? Until Greg mentioned it and put the fear of God at me, I hadn't even considered about us playing Middlesbrough and Spence not being able to play. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where we're at. But um, no, I... I'm still not wedded to the idea of Forrest making it, I have to say. I think I think people are slightly underestimating the, that schedule of having 10 games left, even just having only two more than other teams, just allowing teams to have a week off. And then, you know, the, the relentless Tuesday, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, Saturday programme is really difficult. It's really, really difficult. And, and energy levels at this stage of the season are normally lower, particularly given the injuries we, we've been picking up. That that's the the game changer for me. If Forrest can get through between now and the end of the season, and grabs his back and cooks back, and we don't get you know Johnson doesn't get a muscle injury or Spence doesn't get a muscle injury, then basically a game changer for Forrest. Mm. Uh, let's look at the fixtures then. For uh, just to finish up, I'll put them on the screen. And again, for people listening on iTunes, not watching, it's Blackpool away next afternoon, Saturday week on April the second. Then Forrest have got um, Coventry and Birmingham at home, and then two very big games: Luton away. West Brom at home, and then the last five games are Peterborough, Fulham, Swansea, Bournemouth, and Hull City. Pretty decent running, Greg, overall, do you think, or not? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of away games in there, isn't there? The last, what is it, five at, four out of the last five away. Mm. Um, but like I say, we've got brewing away form, so that shouldn't phase us. Uh, yeah, and it, it's nice to see a couple of the teams that are fighting for spots that we are as well, so we could really do some damage. Is that the, is that a positive for you, Dan? I mean, does it hinge on, not entirely, but Luton and West Brom in consecutive games? If they can get six points from those after six from the next three, 
that's a big step, isn't it? Yeah, maybe even maybe even four if it's drawing away at Luton. I think, yeah. Um, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the massive benefit Forest have been handed with with the with this cup tie is that we now don't play Fulham until late on in the season, where they probably will have been promoted by then. And it's always at this stage of the season where you, you look at the fixture list and you think, well, who's at the top of the league or who's who's near the top of the league? It doesn't always work like that. It works about who has something to play for. And you look at those last four games and you think, well, Fulham will probably be promoted by then. Swansea won't have anything to play for. Hull will probably be safe. And Bournemouth might well have also been promoted by then. And that then becomes massive because when you've got one team that's even playing at 90, 95% and one team that's playing at 100, that can be the difference. Uh, a quick one just to finish, very short one just for fun. We did this last week with um, David Prutton and Mikey. Uh, Dan, your two teams to get automatic promotion and your four for the playoffs out of curiosity, just from that table there. Fulham and Bournemouth, I think, will go up. Uh, and then I think it will be Luton... Sheffield United, Middlesbrough and Forest, which is sort of, in my head, the worst combination of teams that could be with Sheffield United lingering there. Uh, what about you, Greg? Uh, yeah, Fulham and Bournemouth, top two. Uh, and I think we go in there in the... I mean, Blackburn's, Blackburn's form's dropping off. Unless they get Brereton Diaz back soon, I think they'll be the ones that drop out. Uh, but Luton and Huddersfield have got a little bit of a gap, haven't they? But again, we could do some damage with beating Luton. Uh, so I think I'm just going to swap us for Blackburn, keep Middlesbrough out of it. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I wouldn't bank on Huddersfield just yet. I'm a bit disrespectful to Huddersfield. They deserve more credit than they probably <laughs> had for a massive unbeaten run, but their team isn't doesn't look that good on paper. But then, Northern Luton's, but imagine yeah. the. Uh, Imagine the fireworks if we beat them in the playoffs. They didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> the fans were not like that, no. But there you go. No, QPR are really labouring now and Blackburn seem to have blown up a bit. So um, where are we looking just quickly as teams who could make the playoffs there, Dan? I mean, is it down to West Brom still? or uh, I've included them, but can, is it out, are they out of it? I, I, I actually think they've probably got more chance than than Coventry or Millwall at the moment because it hasn't clicked yet under Bruce but if it does then they have at least got a new manager in place that you know maybe bring a new mood but uh, to be honest if you're looking at it I I think it's Forest upwards Uh, I mean we're obviously there because of not just because it's tight but because of the games in hand and uh, so then yeah with the clubs we've talked about QPR and Blackburn are, are out of form and suddenly as I say Forest are fourth in points per game total at the moment so They've every right to be to be looking up, not down. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good note to leave it on. So we'll uh, end there. Thanks to everyone who's watched long drop comments in as normal. And as ever, if you enjoyed this, to give us a good rating on iTunes and subscribe on any platform that you listen to it on. Uh, Greg, thank you very much. No, cheers. Good to be on again. And Dan, thank you very much. If you've got any books you do want to plug, I know you don't have any new <laughs> ones either, but any existing publications, then do feel free. No, don't worry about it. Nothing for this time. Excellent. Well, you can read Dan in the iPaper and obviously get Forest News at Nottinghamshire Live. So uh, do join us uh, at some point during the international break when I fix up an episode. Uh, and otherwise, we shall see you all soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.